hey, this is now the 30 days of prayer. This is the month of March, and we're in 30 days of prayer. And uh, we are in the home stretch. This is the, um, it's, today's March 23rd. So we've got one uh, week left before we're doing, uh, we get to the end of the 30 days of prayer. And again, the goal, just to remind ourselves, is that for this whole month, we're trying to grow in being attentive to God. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're doing prayer, to grow in being attentive to God. Now, if you're new here, and uh, you're just, this is your first time with GRX, your second time with GRX, um, and maybe you're not even a Christian, and you just kind of dropped in here, just kind of check it out and see what churches do and stuff like that. If you don't, uh, if you don't, if you don't pray, and you're just visiting, checking us out, that's cool. It's just, it's just glad that you're here with us this morning. But what we're doing is, you've caught us in the middle of this, or three quarters of the way through this thirty days of prayer, and it's something that followers of Jesus do. But the reason we're focusing on this, um, there's actually kind of three reasons we're focusing on it. One, because this is just foundational. For people that say that Jesus Christ is someone who we follow, Jesus Christ who's someone who's Lord of our lives, it's foundational that we pray. It's just foundational that we pray. It's communication with God. It's like if you have a relationship with someone, but you never talk to them, then that's not any kind of relationship. You have a relationship with somebody, but you never talk to them. That's a zero relationship. And that's the same thing that we believe about God as followers of Jesus Christ. If we never spend time talking with God, listening to God, communicating with God, then our relationship is really, is really non-existent. And that's why we're focusing on prayer, as it's really foundational. It's communication. The second reason we're focusing on it is because it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard to set aside 20 to 30 minutes a day to pray. And if you've been journeying with us on this 30 days of prayer, you'll notice that it's hard. Because it's, I mean, it's hard to focus on it. It's hard to set aside time because our lives are really busy. There's all kinds of things that distract us. And so the reason why we are trying to focus on this is because it is really, really difficult. And that's why we're doing it all together. It's hard to focus on it. But then the third thing that kind of struck me, and this is the illustration, um, it's really basic. Prayer is really basic. It's really a basic part of our life in Christianity and following God. March is also known as March Madness, right? And anybody doing March Madness, the NCAA tournament, doing a bracket? If you're doing a bracket, let me see your hand if you're doing a bracket. I'm doing a bracket. Um, my kids are doing a bracket. I'm doing a bracket. It's one of these things where I think that uh, we're all doing a bracket together, and there's somebody in my family who actually chose Mercer over Duke. Well, that's pretty good, right? All right, come on, come on. ESPN, 11 million brackets got busted by Mercer beating Duke. So we do brackets, and uh, so th- this, this relates to prayer. Follow me here a little bit, all right? <laughs> Who's the greatest coach of all time in NCAA basketball? John Wooden, right? John Wooden, he won 10 NCAA championships with UCLA. He is awesome, Right? He's awesome. He won seven in a row. Unprecedented. 
John Wooden down in Southern California. He was the wizard of Westwood. John Wooden, in his time when he was coaching in the NCAA tournament, UCLA was just whooping people. What he did, he coached some of the greatest basketball players who ever played the game. Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. These guys were great at playing basketball. When John Wooden got all these guys together, one of the first things he did was teach them a very basic lesson. He sat all these great basketball players down, and he taught them this lesson. He taught them how to put on their socks. Bill Walton, Kareem, he taught them how to put on their socks. What? Why is Bill Walton teaching these incredible basketball players how to put on their socks? There's this incredible principle that comes out of this. He's teaching them how to put on their socks because of this. How you begin matters. What Wooden would say is, you have to put on your socks correctly. You have to smooth them out on the bottom. You have to make sure that seam on the top is in the right place. Because if you don't do that, if you don't begin properly, you're going to end up with blisters on your feet through practice and through the long season. And then when it gets to tournament time, you are going to have blisters on your feet and you're not going to play very well. How you begin matters. This relates to prayer because how you begin your day matters. If you pray in the morning, 20 to 30 minutes a day, it's very basic, but it will change your day. It's going to change how you see your day. How you begin your day matters. How you begin your day with prayer will change how you see other people. It'll change how you behave. It'll it'll change your heart. It's going to change how you drive on the freeway. If you are praying in the morning and then you get in your car and you're commuting to work, it will change how you drive on the road. It will change how we see other people. And that's why we're working on 30 days of prayer for this month. How you begin matters. And how you begin your day matters. It's very basic, but John Wooden knew that. And he knew that if you begin in the right way, it's going to see you all the way through. And that's the same thing that's about prayer. How you begin really matters. Now today, in today's message, we're going to continue on with what we've been looking at with Jesus and how Jesus teaches us how to pray. So we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer as it shows up in Matthew, and every week we've been taking a bit of the Lord's Prayer. And so in the past, we've been taking our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is how Jesus is teaching his people how to pray. And then last week, give us this day our daily bread. And last week we looked at this most fundamental prayer, which is a need for survival. Give us this day our daily bread. This week and today we're going to look at this other part. Forgive us our debts 
as we have also forgive those who are indebted to us. Or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Last week was a basic need because of our physical, bodily well-being. And today's is, today is a basic needs prayer for our spiritual well-being. Last week was our physical well-being. Today is our spiritual well-being. And everybody is in need of forgiveness. Now, now whether you're, a, again, a follower of Jesus or not, everybody needs forgiveness, right? I mean, you, all of us, whether you believe in God or not, all of us fail at different times. All of us break our promises to other people. All of us say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. Oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. All of us make mistakes in our relationships with our friends, with our spouses, with our kids. We get stressed out at work. We say something to a coworker and was like, ah, oh, that's not so good. I wish I wouldn't have said that. And we get, we get frustrated with people in our lives and we say things that we wish we wouldn't have said. And at one level, all of us are in need of forgiveness. Coming to someone and say, man, I am so sorry I said that. Will you forgive me for that? Will you forgive me for that? And that's what Jesus is teaching us today about forgiveness. About forgiveness. I think we all need it. Now, some of you know I used to live in Manila. And I used to drive around in Manila. And if you've ever driven around in a, in a world that, maybe in Asia, the traffic rules are really hard to figure out. Here in the Bay Area, there's like lots of signs and you can figure out stuff. But I was driving in Manila in this place uh, near this area called Mega Mall. And uh, if you guys are listening on, on, the, on the internet, I got a shout out to Manila and Mega Mall right here. So I used to drive in Mega Mall. And okay, here's how the road is. You're driving in three lanes going in this way. And there's three lanes coming in the opposite direction. And then at one corner, about one block away from Mega Mall, at that corner, the three lanes on my side continue to go straight. But at that point, the, there's also three lanes of oncoming traffic. That actually changes at that corner to be three lanes going in the same direction that I'm going. So you get that? So it's like three lanes in opposite directions here. And then at this corner, it becomes six lanes going this way. So I'm in the farthest left-hand lane, and it's straight ahead of me. And I think I'm just going to go straight. I'm three lanes going this way. I'm going straight in this, in this left lane on my three lanes, and there's three lanes going here. But at this corner, I continue straight across the intersection. But really the rule is I was supposed to cross the median at that point and then go three lanes on the other side of the road because it's, it's, that's what you're supposed to do at that corner. Okay? I don't know this. So I just go straight across, right? I think I'm supposed to go straight across. There's a police officer there, and he waves me over, right? He's about to give me a ticket because I'm supposed to have gone across and go into what I think is oncoming traffic, <laughs> right? I'm trying to justify myself here. You know where this is going. I roll down the window, and right, an officer, the officers always do this. This is international. They always go, do you know what you did wrong? <laughs> and I go, man, I have no idea what I did wrong. I said, no, I don't know what I did wrong, officer. I'm sorry. 
And he goes, you know what? In my line of work, nobody ever does anything wrong. But everybody is in need of a lesson. And I go, ah, all right. You know, I don't know what compelled me to do this. I think it's God's Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm going to blame it on God. He said that, you know, nobody does anything wrong. Everybody's in need of a lesson. And I said, that's really interesting. I said, in my line of work, (laughs) everybody does something wrong, but everybody's in need of forgiveness. And he goes, would you step out of the car and put handcuffs on you? (laughs) No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. I was such a, I don't know why I said that. I could have gotten arrested for that. That's so, like, so much attitude. I'm like, he goes, really? What do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. (laughs) And he goes, oh, oh, oh. And then we talked about that. And then the cool thing about this is we talked about it, and he told me, gave me the lesson. He told me what I did wrong. And then I said, man, you know, I, I just... I just need forgiveness. Will you forgive me? <laughs> and you know what? He did. He did. He just gave me a warning. He forgave me. And then I, and I drove off. And I know that. And so if you're driving by Mega Mall, you got to watch out. You want to watch out. Watch out. Everybody is in need of forgiveness. And Jesus knows that. And that's why this prayer is so right here. I love this in the Lord's Prayer. And it's incredibly bold. It's such a bold prayer. We can lean into Jesus because he says we can pray this way. This is how the prayer goes. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're going to unpack this a little bit. It is bold And it is challenging. But Jesus knows everybody needs forgiveness. But I mean, if you you think about this, we are praying this to God. We are praying this to the creator of the universe. We are praying this to God Almighty. And we are there. He is holy. We are not holy. And it's like we throw this prayer down. Forgive us. God, God, I know I'm not worthy. Forgive us, God. Forgive us our debts. Jesus teaches us how to pray this, so we know we can pray it. But have you ever thought about how incredibly audacious this prayer is? That we come to God and say, God, not God, please forgive me. It's like, God, forgive us our failure, our sin, our debt. God, forgive us. Think about it like this. Debt. It's an economic term. People in the first century, when they heard this from Jesus, forgive us our debt, they would understand it as an economic term. And so think about your life and think about the economics of your situation. That you might have a car that you've leased, and so you owe a debt on that car. It's the same idea, economic term. You have taken a loan from the bank, and you owe a debt to the bank. Or you think about your house. If you're owning a house and you got a mortgage on it, 15-year or 30-year, say you got, I don't know, four and a quarter, 5%, whatever your interest rate is, you owe a debt on your house. You own, um, you have a mortgage which you owe to the bank. It's your debt. 
Hey, so think about that, your car or your mortgage. Now go with me as we walk through this a little bit, this economic term here. You go and go, wow, I owe this debt, this loan. I'm going to go down to the bank. Hey, I got a cool idea. I just learned this at church. I'm going to go do this. You walk into the bank and you go there and you go, hey, I have a loan here at the bank and I'd like to speak to the branch manager. And they go, okay, what is it about? And you go, I'd like to talk to them about my loan. They go, okay, all right, come on in. And, uh, you know, they're friendly at the bank. They welcome you. They give you some bank coffee. And you go, hey, here's some coffee. Well, this is the manager will be right with you. And they sit you down in the manager's office. And the manager sits down and says, all right, I know you have a, a loan here with us. What can I do for you? You say, I learned this at church. Forgive my debt. And they go, what? And you go, I have a debt here at the bank. Forgive it. Forgive my loan. That'd be crazy, right? You go, I can't do that. This is the boldness that Jesus is talking about here. Forgive us our debts. We're asking God to forgive our spiritual and our moral failing. The gap. The brokenness that we all feel in our lives. The little lies that we might tell. The big sins that we commit in the darkness that nobody knows about. The infidelity. The things that we think about in our heads. The stuff that we say to other people. We're asking God to forgive all of that moral gap. All of that spiritual failing. All of that stuff where we aren't being holy the way that God designs us and wants us to be. All of that stuff, we're saying, God, forgive us our failures. But this prayer is even more bold even than that. Because it's not just my debt. Jesus is teaching us to pray, forgive us our debt. When we're praying it, We're not just praying for ourselves. We're praying for us all together. We are praying collectively that God would forgive us as a community our collective debt, our collective failing, our collective sin. It's even more bold than just myself. Let's go back to the bank. So you're back there at the bank. And you're there with the branch manager, and they think, man, you're a little crazy. But you go, oh, man. You look around at the bank, and you realize that it's not just your loan at that bank, but the people in your GRX small group also have loans at that bank. You also know that people in your own GRX small group also owe this bank money. So you lean across to the desk of the manager and you go, hey, you know, I'm not going to just ask you to forgive my debt. I'm going to ask you to look at all the people in my GRX small group. And I'm going to say, forgive us our debt. The whole thing. And here's a list of their names. There's like eight people in my small group. I want you to wipe out. They got a car loan. I want you to wipe that out. 
On these people they owe on their house, just wipe that out. Just forgive us our debt. You can do that for me, right? You're the manager. That's when the branch manager goes, hmm, I'm going to do that. Let me think about that. And they start moving their hand off the desk. And they hit that little button below the desk, which is like security, right? That's when then then they come and they escort you out, right? Because that would be so crazy. That would be so audacious. It would be so bold. But that's the prayer that Jesus is having us pray. Forgive us our debts. God, forgive us not only just my failings, but the failings of the people in my small group. Forgive us the failings of the people in our church. The brokenness that's in our own lives. The stuff that's hard that we walk with in each other's lives. God, forgive us our debts. It's like, God, make us holy. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Why can we pray this? Why can we even begin to pray this prayer? Forgive us our debts. The only way we can pray this is because when we pray this, we are praying our ultimate hope in Jesus Christ. We're praying our hope. Every time we say, give us, forgive us, we are praying our hope in Jesus Christ. Scripture affirms our hope in Jesus all the time. Romans 5 says it this way. Romans 5 says, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. That's before anything else happened. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and for your sins. That Jesus Christ forgives us ahead of time, even while we were still broken and failing and sinners. For by grace, the gift of Jesus Christ, you have been saved through faith. You have been saved by faith already. That's why we can pray this, forgive us our debts, because it prays into the hope of Jesus. And it reminds us again that we have a hope in Jesus Christ. Hebrews says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the promise of things not seen. We lean into the forgiveness of God every time we pray this. God, forgive us. Forgive us our debts because we hope in you because you're a good God and you know us and you forgive us. Romans 8 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're free of your debt. In Christ Jesus, you're free of your debt. That's the prayer of hope. That's why we can pray this. And then ultimately, I love this. Jesus says this from the cross. This is our Easter hope. Easter's coming up in April. This is our Easter hope. Jesus on the cross says this. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is dying on the cross. 
He's crucified for our brokenness, our debt, our sin. Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive these people. Forgive them. Forgive us. For they know not what they do. All of these are the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And the love that he has for us. And the forgiveness that he has for us. Forgive us our debts. That's the first part. That's the hope. And that's why we pray it. But now there's a second part. And this part is really challenging. It's forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Whoa. That's a challenge. We pray in boldness. That's the first part. But wow, the second part is a challenge. This has challenged the church for centuries. What is going on here? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. It can create this kind of like, man, what's going on here? Is there sort of a causality? What is this? Questions like, what is the relationship between God's forgiveness and my forgiveness of other people? What about abusive people who claim God's forgiveness for themselves, but then go on hurting or abusing or being broken towards other people? What, what does this mean? As we also have forgiven our debtors. What is that challenge? We're going to spend the second part of this message actually kind of unpacking that. To understand this part, we have to really understand what is forgiveness. What's really going on in forgiveness? I'm going to break this down very, very briefly with this. What is happening actually in forgiveness? Think about when somebody wrongs you, when somebody does something wrong to you, and we're asking, you know, wow, how do I forgive this person? This is what happens in, in the whole dynamic of forgiveness. The first thing that happens is we acknowledge that something wrong has been done to us. We don't just sort of smooth it over like, ah, oh, it wasn't anything. I didn't get hurt. Nothing happened. No, that, that's not the first part of forgiveness. The first part of forgiveness is actually, man, ouch, that hurt. That was just sin that happened to me. That was just a bummer. And you acknowledge it. And then you even acknowledge, man, I feel really angry. I feel really sad. I feel really hurt by that. And usually what will happen, like most people, then it's like, man, I just want vengeance. I just want to punish that other person. I just want to hurt them back. If you feel that, that's just very natural. It would be like you're driving down the freeway, and as you're driving, somebody who's a crazy driver just speeds up right behind you, cuts around you, and then cuts you off. I would call that sinful driving. Or at least it's very dangerous. And then what's your reaction? I'll tell you what my reaction is. My reaction is, man, I want to speed up and cut around them and cut them off. And I probably would do that if my car had more than 120 horsepower. <laughs> However much time I have. How much horsepower do I have in my car, Ivan? I have 157. Thank you, Ivan. I have 157. That's why I cannot drive a six-cylinder car because I'd probably do that. That's a very natural reaction. 
They cut me off, I'm angry, and I want vengeance. It's very natural. You know, culturally, we've had about 4,000 years where that's actually been the way to go. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, bone for bone. They do that to me, I'm going to do that back to them. That comes from Hammurabi's code. Hammurabi, Hammurabi's code, 1790 B.C. Hammurabi was the great leader of the Babylonian Empire in Mesopotamia. It came from that. Somebody takes your eye, you take their eye out. Somebody knocks your tooth out, you take their tooth out. Someone breaks your arm, you break their arm. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, bone for bone. as vengeance. 4,000 years from 1790 B.C. up till now. It's a culture. It's been a part of how human society has lived for a very, very long time. We want vengeance. That's That's what goes on here. But Jesus Christ says something different. God says something different. And this is what happens with forgiveness. Forgiveness. What are you giving? Forgiveness. What do you give? When you forgive, when I forgive, we give up our right for vengeance. That's why when Jesus Christ came on the scene, it was such a radical thing. That's why when Jesus Christ said, you give up your right for vengeance, he was speaking against the Hammurabi Code. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, forgive your brother if he sins against you. And the disciples say, wait, if somebody does something to me, should I forgive them seven times? Not just eye for eye. I'm just going to forgive them once. I'm going to forgive them seven times. And Jesus says, forgive 70 times seven, which doesn't mean 490. It means forgive them a whole bunch of times, way past Hammurabi's code. Forgive them a lot. Romans says it this way. When we give up our right for vengeance, Romans says it this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And for God, mercy is mine. And I will be merciful on those I want to be merciful on. And thanks be to God that God is merciful on me too. Because what's so tough about this, if I really look at my heart, what I want is I want forgiveness for myself. But I will also and often want vengeance on somebody else. See, I want forgiveness for myself, but I want God's judgment on somebody else. And that's a hard thing. And that's a hard thing. And that is why sometimes following Jesus is really difficult. Following Jesus is not always just all cake and ice cream and balloons and victory. It's hard following Jesus sometimes. And I think sometimes following Jesus is no harder than in this whole arena of forgiveness.
You know, it's Jesus who tells this story about a guy, a servant, really. And a servant was living in this kingdom. And the kingdom and the king looked out on all the people in his kingdom. And Jesus says, this king decided that he was going to call in all of the people who happened to owe the king money. And so the king called this one servant in and says, you owe 10,000 units in that day. It works out to about, in today's money, about, you'd probably say about $10 million. So the king calls this servant in, in his kingdom, and says, you owe me $10 million. Ah, you can't pay? Well, what we do in our kingdom is we're going to sell you, and we're going to sell your wife, we're going to sell your kids, we're going to sell all that you own to pay back that debt. And the servant goes, oh, man, don't, don't do that. Please have mercy on me. And then the king looks at the guy, and the king has pity on the guy, and he says, okay, I forgive you. Ten million. It's clear. And so then the guy is really happy. He's like, man, I got cleared 10 million. Now this same servant, he goes out into the street. And Jesus is still telling this story. The same servant goes out into the street and he sees a fellow servant who owes him five bucks. And he says to that second servant, hey, you owe me five bucks. Pay up. And the second servant says, oh, man, I can't pay. Please have mercy on me. And that first servant says, nope, absolutely not. Pay me five bucks, I'm going to throw you in jail. And then that second servant gets thrown in jail. And then the king hears about this. And he calls the first servant back in. And he says, is this right? Is this true what I heard? that I forgave you 10 million bucks and then you won't forgive this other guy five bucks. Is that true? And it turns out that it is, that that's true. And then the king says, I forgave you a great debt. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then Jesus, as he tells this story, ends with this really challenging word. Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Ouch. That is a challenging word. It's a high calling. It's a big word. But isn't that the reality of the human heart? We want mercy for ourselves, grace for ourselves, but then we want judgment for somebody else. We want vengeance for somebody else. Forgiveness from God is meant to lead us to forgive other people. Forgiveness from God is meant for us to lead us into forgiveness of other people. Now, it doesn't mean that we forgive somebody who abuses us and we just let them abuse us some more. 
No, I mean, if you were being abused by somebody, what we do is we actually create boundaries where they can't abuse us anymore or they can't hurt us anymore. So, we, you know, God's not saying just let yourself be abused. But after we create these kind of boundaries in abusive relationships, we say, wow, I still need to forgive. I need to forgive because God has forgiven me such a huge, vast amount of moral, emotional, spiritual failure. And so my question is this. Do we readily forgive other people? And wow, that's a challenge. Because to the extent that we can forgive other people, it's to the extent that we know that Jesus Christ is deeply living and moving in our hearts and in our lives. It's a sign. It's an indication of our walk with Jesus. So I got some questions. Do we even readily forgive the people who wrong us or hurt us and are even oblivious to that fact? Do we forgive them? Do we even forgive the people who never actually ask us for forgiveness? Oh man, I'm not going to forgive them until they ask for forgiveness. No, we even need to forgive the people who don't ask us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, that is such a challenge. But if we, give, if we do forgive them, if we do forgive those people in our lives, then praise God. Then that's something to celebrate. If we are able to forgive, because it's a sign that we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we can say that as well with the people in our lives who have failed us, who have sinned against us, or who have hurt us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, then we ourselves are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven those who are indebted to us. And I'm going to lead us in this prayer exercise right now. And I know last week I did a prayer exercise, and I'm going to lead us again in a prayer exercise. And it's something that is just, it's a, it's just something to offer to you to do. And, you know, if it feels like, man, this, I don't know what's going to happen, you can just sit and listen and just, just listen and, and let it just be something that you hear. But if there's somebody that you think, man, maybe God is bringing to your mind right now, there's somebody in your life that you feel like you need to forgive, I'm going to offer this prayer exercise for us to do, and we're going to do it right now. And it might be an opportunity for you to forgive or at least begin forgiving this person. This is a prayer exercise, and it comes from a hero of mine, Daryl Johnson. And he calls, this the, he calls this debt cancellation. So you know where I'm going with this. But I'm going to call it a prayer of debt cancellation. And it, it's going to go like this, okay? So let me just invite you to close your eyes and reflect on this. It's going to just take us a few minutes to do this. 
And just reflect on this for just a second. Lord Jesus, as we move into this time of prayer, I just ask that you would bring to our minds people in our lives that maybe have hurt us in the past or that we need to forgive. And God, I pray that out of that group of people, and maybe we've got a whole list of people, that you, God, might bring to mind one person in our life that we feel like we need to forgive. So right now, GRX, I invite you to bring to mind one person that you may be having a hard time to forgive. And I invite you, in, as we pray, to tell the Father, God in heaven, that person's name. And just do that silently. Tell God that person's name. Then now I invite you to tell God exactly what this person did to you. Just in your mind. Be honest. Be specific. Be ruthless. God can handle our authentic prayer. She continued to pray. Now tell God the Father what you would like to see happen to this person. Do not be afraid. God knows what's in our hearts, even if we don't tell him. Tell this person how you want to see this person. Tell God how you want to see this person punished or shamed or hurt as you've been hurt. Now imagine standing at the bottom of a hill. On top of the hill is a cross, and Jesus is there. And he invites you to come up the hill. And you go up the hill. What do you want to say to Jesus? Maybe you tell him more of what you've already told God the Father. Maybe you tell Jesus how hard it is to forgive. And now, as an act of your will, go back, back down the hill, And imagine the person that hurt you is standing there. And then invite that person who hurt you to come back up on the hill with you. Bring that person to the foot of Jesus Christ.
and then looking at Jesus and pointing to that person as an act of your will, say, Jesus, grant this person what you have granted me. And then Jesus says, I will. Blessed are you. You are never more like me and my Father than when you forgive. Go in peace. Amen. You know, um, we're just going to, I'm going to just end with this, but you guys can stay up here for a sec. You know, there's a uh, American evangelist who uh, is sort of famous. His name is D.L. Moody. He was a preacher and he was a pastor. And he used to say this about prayer. He said, prayer does not mean that I am to bring God down to my thoughts and to my purposes. Prayer is not that I bend God's government according to my foolish, silly, and sometimes sinful notion. Prayer means that I am to be raised up into feeling, into union, and design with him. That I am to enter into God's counsel and carry out his purposes fully. Perhaps there's no other prayer that raises us into God's design, into God's purposes, than this prayer. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's a big prayer of hope. It prays us into God's forgiveness. It's a super challenging prayer because we have to forgive. But it's also super basic, right? Everybody is in need of forgiveness. And I am. I know that for sure. And I know we are as a community. And the world is. The world is longing to be forgiven. Praise and glory to Jesus Christ who forgives us and forgives the world. Amen.